Hi, welcome to the Vine Church Podcast. Today we are lucky enough to have Pastor Aaron Downs to speak with us. Hope you enjoy. Good morning everybody. It's wonderful to be here. A massive welcome to the Vine Church. It's so good to be here. We're on Generosity Revolution Week 2. And if you missed last week, we'd encourage you to catch up with that on, on our iTunes. Uh, wasn't that amazing to hear about um, Cherish? Thank you so much, Pam. That was so encouraging and so uplifting, and I want to come next year. <laughs> so, men, yeah, we've got to get our act together. Where are we going, men? Let's, let's get our act together as well. But that's exciting, and we'd love to see the momentum with that. And I know Lindsay's in discussion with uh, um, the ladies to see how we um, get the women together and continue that momentum. So that's really exciting and so good to see you women get blessed and refreshed and encouraged. So, Lindsay, you have permission uh, complete, not that you need my permission, but you are uh, more than welcome to go next year, and I'll be daddy daycare, which will be great fun. So kids, get ready for the McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, McDonald's for three nights. Is that right, Roe Baby? Where were you, Roe Baby? <laughs> so, yeah, um, if you use the version Bible app, you can go onto the menu just now if you want, and you can go to events, and if your tracking device is on, uh, today's notes will come up in there. You have the Bible verses, the links, and um, you, can, you can follow along. You can take notes, you can save, and you can export all your notes. And there's, for those who prefer the pencil and paper sun, most reliable computer on the planet, there is a pencil and paper uh, for you as well. You can use that. But Jock, he got on the bus, and he asks the driver, how much is the fare? And the driver says 80 pence, and Jock walks off absolutely disgusted and decides to run two stops down the road to catch the bus. Gets on again, asks the driver, how much now? 80 pence. He's like, that's ridiculous. So he gets off, he bolts three stops down, catches the same bus again and goes, how much now? Driver looks at him and says, 90 pence. You're going in the wrong direction. But what, what happened when the, the cat swallowed the coin? There was money in the kitty. So, so uh, try to keep up with you in there. Try to keep up with you. Okay. If we could get a timer on, please. That would be most helpful. Acts 20, verse 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When we think of that village in Kenya celebrating, rejoicing, and dancing this morning with those 700 children, Jesus, in his words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Horace Bushnell, he writes this, one more revival only one more is needed. Revival of Christian stewardship. The consecration of the money power of the church unto God. And when that revival comes, the kingdom of God will come in a day. I think, I think uh, that village in Kenya, that came true because there was Christian stewardship there. And I think revival came, the kingdom came to that one village in Kenya in one day. He says, when the that revival comes, the kingdom of God will come in a day. It did come to that village in Kenya. You can no more prevent it than you can hold back the tides of the ocean. What a powerful quote. Now, 
We're on the series called Generosity Revolution, and last week we learned that God's desire is to transform us through our whole lives to become more and more like Jesus through an inward process of transformation. And we learned last week that this happens by an ongoing process of transformation by the Holy Spirit inwards, changing our hearts so that we are more and more conformed into the image of God that he created us in, that we fell short of, but Jesus came that we may be recreated back into the image. God wants to transform us from the inside out. That's the kingdom coming. It's transformation from the inside out. And today I want to show how generosity is at the very heart of Christianity and how generosity is in fact essential for you to experience the fullness of joy, purpose and fulfillment in this life. I I want you to discover today how generosity is actually essential to fulfilling the great commands of loving God with all your heart, your mind, soul and strength. Generosity is essential for that. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Generosity is essential for that. We have a vision as a church of city transformation by saturating cities with good news. And today, I want to show you why a generosity revolution is essential for city transformation. A generosity revolution is essential for city transformation. Now, generosity is a key to joy, and it's significant. It's a significant key to the good news that we are called to share. And I believe that generosity, as we will see today, is the key to city transformation. So let's make a start, shall we? Look at that. We wave. (laughs) Just playing around. Now, generosity always involves a sacrifice and an overflow. And the cross is a perfect example of this because we see the generous love of the Father who sacrificed his own son so that his grace and forgiveness could overflow to you, to the world. Salvation is described in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, my very first memory verses that I learned as a child and um, still remember today what, what children, youth, memorize now because you'll remember it for the rest of your life. Salvation is described as a free gift. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the what? Gift of God. What's the gift of God? Salvation is the gift of God. Now, Free gifts only come from someone who is generous. So salvation shows us the generosity of God because he gives free gifts. Ultimately, salvation is a free gift that is given freely. God is a generous God. Salvation is a free gift. Now, the Good Samaritan is a great classic example of sacrifice and overflow and radical generosity. And the, the Good Samaritan story as a lot of you are aware of, and some may not be so much if you don't know the Good Samaritan story, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, just love it, and I would really uh, encourage you to meditate on it. 
But the Good Samaritan story is given in response to a question. So Jesus tells it to answer a question. I love Jesus. He just tells a story. Someone asks him a question and he tells a story. The story, what was the question? The question to Jesus was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks how he reads the law. And the the lawyer answers with the two great commands, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said that he gave the correct answer. He was a smart man. He answered correctly. Um, But then the lawyer said, and who is my neighbor? Well, in order to answer that uh, question, who is my neighbor? If I'm going to love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? Jesus goes on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. And then he follows up with a question. And the question he flips back to the lawyer. So the lawyer asks him a question, Jesus tells him a story, and Jesus is going to extract the answer. Now, Jesus knows the answer, but he's going to extract it from the, 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 the individual himself, because Jesus is the master teacher. If we can help people to discover the answer they already know and draw out of them, isn't that a much more powerful learning tool than just um, uh, spoon-feeding people? Now, which of these three, he says, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And what did Jesus say? You go and do likewise. Luke 10, 25 to 37. So we can see from the story of the, product, uh, the, the Good Samaritan that loving our neighbor as ourself is absolutely central to the Christian life. So loving our neighbor is central to the Christian life because it was in response to what must I do to inherit eternal life, Okay. And the Good Samaritan teaches us that showing mercy is absolutely essential to loving our neighbor. Who was the man? Who was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy. So the Good Samaritan teaches us that showing mercy is essential to loving our neighbor. Okay? And we also learn from the Good Samaritan that showing mercy requires radical generosity. If you're filling in the blanks, that's a blank on your sheet, okay? It requires, showing mercy requires radical generosity of time, talent, and money. Now, uh, Alcorn, when he's referring to the examples of Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler, This is what Randy Alcorn says, quote, We come to understand that our perspective on and handling of money is a litmus test of our true character. It is an index of our spiritual life. You need to read over that a few times, meditate on that. We come to understand that our perspective on and our handling of money is a litmus test of our true character. It is an index of our spiritual life. And we see in the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, that there's a deep-rooted connection between compassion, mercy, generosity, and loving, another blank, loving your neighbor. There's a deep-rooted connection. And you could actually argue that without generosity, it's impossible to show mercy. And hence, it's impossible to love your neighbor. And therefore, it's impossible to fulfill the great commandments. What does 1 John 3 verse 17, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? 
So there we have it, the connection between love, God's love inside us, compassion, and generosity. The implication is that if God's love is in a person, that person will respond to a person in need with compassion. And that was proven by these women at Compassion, wasn't it? 700, it just shows you absolutely perfect example of that. If God's love is in a person, that person will respond to a person in need with compassion, and they will respond in generosity with money that they have. Love, compassion, generosity. It goes on to say in 1 John 3, 7 to 19, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we'll be confident when we stand before God. I'm going to wave goodbye to that slide, okay? And um, this one's the seesaw, I think. The seesaw. Now, these verses in John 1 John point out that if God's love is in a person, compassion and generosity will be the natural action that results. Action. There's always, love always has an action. What I'm saying is that you can't show mercy without action. And you can't show mercy if you're not generous with time and money. The Good Samaritan just proves that. You can't show mercy if you're not willing to be interrupted and to put aside your own agenda. It's not possible. You can't show mercy if you're not willing to go the extra mile. And if you can't show mercy, then you cannot love your neighbor as yourself. Like the example of the Levite and the priest, they didn't show mercy because the Good Samaritan was the one who showed mercy, and the Levite and the priest didn't show mercy, and they didn't love their neighbor. Or the, the example of the goats and the parable and the sheep and the goats. When someone was thirsty, they didn't show mercy. When someone was in prison, they didn't show mercy. When someone was hungry, they didn't show mercy. Because if you cannot love neighbor as yourself, you cannot obey the greatest commandment. And if you cannot obey the greatest commandments, what can we not do? Inherit eternal life. Wow. Isn't that serious? What must I do to inherit eternal life was the question. Now, John points out in these verses just mentioned that our actions reveal whether our faith is genuine or not. This is what Jesus said in Luke 6, 44. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. And that is why radical generosity is absolutely at the heart of the Christian faith. Now I want to show you a quick video of an example of radical generosity. This is from a man called Narayanan Krishnan, who is not a Christian to my knowledge, yet as one created in the image of God, <laughs> that's a terrible impersonation, but I can't stop speaking like that after I've watched this video. To my knowledge, he's not a Christian, but he is one who is created in the image of God, and he has discovered the inherent desire for generosity and the joy that follows. Let's watch this short, this short video, and you'll all be speaking like that afterwards as well, I'm sure. I saw a very old man. He was eating his own human waste for hunger. 
I thought, what is the purpose of my life? What am I going to do? In a star hotel, I feed all my guests. But where in my hometown, there are people who are living even without food. I, I quit my job and I started feeding all these people from 2002. Today morning we made venpongal uh, and sambar. Venpongal is a blend of uh, rice and dal and for the lunch we made uh, tomato rice and sabzi. We fed the homeless mentally ill destitutes and the old people who have been left uncared of the society. People are suffering for food. They don't have food to eat. If you don't give them food to eat, they will die out of human hunger. I cut their hair, I give them a shave, I give them bath. For them to feel psychologically that they are also human beings, there are people to care for them, they, are, they have a hand to hold, hope to live. Food is one part, love is another part. So the food will give them physical nutrition, the love and affection which you show will give them mental nutrition. Brahmins are not supposed to touch these people, clean these people, hug these people, feed these people. Everybody has got 5.5 liters of blood. I am just a human being. For me, everybody are same. What is the ultimate purpose of life is to give. Start giving. See the joy of giving. The, the link for that guy's story is, is fantastic and he gave up a job as a five-star chef in a hotel to do this full-time and he's done it ever since. He says, start giving the joy of giving. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? Absolutely beautiful. Um, now, just want you to think for a little second about the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Let's hold that in our mind for a second, okay? Now, I want you to think about that commandment as a steward and as a, a, a manager or a steward of the resources that God has given you. Think of the great command with the gifts he has given you. And we mentioned the gifts that he has given us include your time, your talents, and your treasure, your three T's, your time, your talents, and your treasure. They're all from God. They're owned, they're owned by God. They belong to God. They were given to us as stewards and managers to use and to invest wisely um, and in order to bring him glory. Okay, so think about your time, your talents, your treasure, your gifts with the great command. What does it look like to live in terms of how you use your time, your talents, and money if you love God with all your heart and neighbor as yourself? If you're loving God with all your heart and neighbor as yourself, will it affect your time, your talents, and your money and how you use them? What I'm trying to get us to see and understand is that you cannot love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength if it doesn't affect how you invest your time, your talents, and money. You can't separate them. It's not possible to separate how you give and how you live. You can't separate how you give 
and how you live. This is what George Barner says in his book, Revolution. I do not give away 10%. I surrender 100%. You see, in one sense, it's easier to surrender our hearts and our lives and our words than it is to surrender our wallet. <laughs> it's, it's easier to put God first in our hearts and our worship and our time than in our giving. But when God says to love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, that affects what you do with your time, with your treasure, and with your talent. Now, a great example of this is in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. We see this is how they lived. If ever there was a beautiful model for the church of today, it's in those seven verses. If there ever was a prototype or a model for how churches live and a picture of a vibrant, healthy community, there it is in Acts, in the early church, because they were devoted. We, talk, we see an example of a devoted people. And what is the results and the fruit of a devoted people? Well, they devoted themselves to prayer, to study, and to preaching. And what was the result of their devotion? That they were uh, filled with knowledge? What was the fruit in their life? What was the fruit that this devoted tree produced? What action was a result of their devotion? What action resulted from the needs that they saw before them? Now Luke, in reporting in these verses, is very careful to show you how you cannot separate how you live and how you give. And what was the result of living a life of full devotion? and loving God and neighbor with all that they had, this was, the, this was the fruit, okay? This was the result in verses 44 to 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling possessions and belongings. And that's a bit radical. That's a bit first century church. That's not for us today to go as far as to actually sell a possession or to sell something that you own so that another may be. I mean, that's a bit too radical for us today. I mean, I was, I was challenged by that. I really was. And I was like, I can't really get up there and speak about that. And so I felt God to convict me to sell something and to use it for another. And it sold within 24 hours on Facebook Marketplace. So that's a promotion. So it's actually easier for us today. You've got Facebook Marketplace to sell your possessions, okay? And in, in order to benefit others. And, in, and uh, I'm not saying that to boast. I'm not saying that in order that I would receive treasure here on earth because... Um, we, we know we shouldn't boast and stand on street corners and proudly promote the things that we do, but that's not my motive or my intention, and that's what it's all about, really. The motive and the intention is to, is to lead by example and to put this into practice and to set an example, not to ask others to do what I'm not willing to do myself. It says they were selling possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You cannot separate how you give and how you live. This is what Martin Luther said. There are three conversions involved in the Christian life. Head, heart, and purse or wallet. Which one have you been through? Now let's look in verse 46 that we notice that they had glad and generous hearts. And there's an incredible close connection between generosity and joy. They go hand in hand. Generosity and joy go hand in hand. We saw that in that little video there. 
And interestingly, generosity and joy are both fruits of the Holy Spirit. And the key here was their hearts. They did not first and foremost um, have a generous habit. They did not first and foremost have a generous discipline. But first and foremost, they had a generous heart. And that's where everything flows from, the heart. We're told that they had a generous heart. And that's why heart transformation is essential requirement for a generosity revolution. And what brings heart transformation? The Holy Spirit. Relationship with the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Living in the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit. Not hindering the Spirit. And living according to God's intention and purposes for us. And last week, we noticed that generous heart is the process of being changed into the image and likeness of God. That's God's desire to change us, become more and more like Jesus through an inner process of transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to change us and keep on changing us and change us by the Holy Spirit and transform us to be like Jesus. And what is Jesus like? Well, we see that Jesus was loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, generous, good, all of these things, and God wants to change us. Because there's a deep connection with a generous heart and a joyful heart. Remember the quote from last week, it says, the life that we all prize, filled with joy and spiritual depth, is closely tied to giving generously and with thankful hearts. There's a deep connection between joy and generosity and thankful hearts. That's Donald Hins. Now, what was the result of all this? Verse 47 says, The Lord added to their number day by day who were being saved. We see a devotion in Acts chapter 2. We see a radical generosity and mercy and compassion leading to action and giving. We see the joy and we notice that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved because that city transformation through a generosity revolution. Because if we all had glad and generous hearts, how attractive would that culture become to the world? How healthy is a culture of joy and generosity? I mean, who doesn't want to be around that? If we all had generous hearts, we would see a generosity revolution and city transformation one person at a time. Now, I want you to think about the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. So the first thing was to love the Lord your God with all your what? Say it loud. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Okay, let's compare that with these verses here. This is from... Matthew 6, 19 to 21 and 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your what? Where your treasure is, there your will be also, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
So let's compare those two verses. You shall love the Lord your God with all your And for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is it possible to love your Lord your God with all your heart without it affecting your treasure? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is it possible to love the Lord your God with all your heart? Is it possible for God to be first in your heart and not first in your money? Is it possible for God to be first in your heart and to worship him and to put him first? And there be no consideration of God with how I spend my money, with how I use my time, with how I use my skills and gifts and talents, either for self for self-fame, for self-glory, or to serve others for their benefit, for, their, for his fame and for his glory. Because these verses tell us there's two places your treasure can be, on earth or in heaven. What does it mean to lay up treasure on earth? Well, I think it means to use all that I have for my enjoyment, my own pleasure, my own welfare, my own satisfaction, my own fame, and my own glory. To lay up treasure in this earth means to store up and hoard possessions for self. And if that is where my treasure is on earth, then that is where my heart will also be on earth. And so it's impossible to love God with all my heart if all my treasure is on earth. Because where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. So let me ask you a question. Where is your treasure? Jesus said if your treasure is on earth, it can be destroyed by moths and rust or could be stolen. Did you know that clothing moths are nocturnal? And they like body fluids. And they do their work in the darkest corners of your homes. They're nocturnal animals. Because it's in the darkest corners that moths get to work. So don't store up your treasure in dark corners of this earth. But invest it in the light places in heaven. One way to do this is for us to look at our bank statements for the past 12 months. And you'll be able to identify where your, where your heart is. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because it's your heart for the poor. Well, just look at your bank statement for the past 12 months. Is your heart for fitness? Look at your bank statement. Is your heart for beauty and clothes? Look at your bank statements. Is your heart for the Vine Church? Look at your bank statements. Is your heart for God's kingdom? Look at your bank statements. We get the idea, don't we? That where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, in Luke 12, someone asked Jesus to tell his brother to split the inheritance. And this is how Jesus responds in verse 15. He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And we can see here, what is it that hinders radical generosity? It's covetousness. Interestingly, which was the tenth of the Ten Commandments, which warns us not to allow our heart to cover, co- uh, covet or strongly desire anything that is your neighbor's. Facebook, Instagram, um, is, I, I believe, is neutral. It can be used for good or bad. But it is possible to uh, overwhelmingly um, uh, up the temptation to strongly desire your neighbor's holiday, <laughs> your neighbor's garden, your neighbor's food. You know, Instagram's all about, you've, you know, food's not to be enjoyed these days. It's to be photographed and posted on Instagram so everybody else uh, wishes that they were with you. And um, yes, I do sometimes um, have a bad attitude. <laughs> what you showed that for? I'm so happy for you. Not. We're human, aren't we? So covetous destroys generosity. And Paul points out that someone who is covetous is an idolater. Ephesians 5, 5, Colossians 3, 5. Someone who is covetous is an idolater. Why? Because coveting values the thing over trust and obedience to the provider. And a covetous person desires that thing more than they desire God. And they trust that thing to bring them joy, fulfillment, and pleasure more than God. We're going to look more detail next week at what it means to store up for yourself treasure in heaven. What, how, what does it mean? How do you do it? What is the judgment of believers? What kind of uh, judgment will believers face? The one great thing is that we do not need to fear because we're saved by grace through faith. Um, and we're not going to face the judgment um, of whether we get into heaven or not if we put our full faith in Jesus Christ. But believers will be judged. And it should radically affect how we invest our time, talents, and treasure on this earth. And I'm going to finish with this story. Okay, last story as an example. This is an example of hospitality. By the way, hospitality is an act of radical generosity. And so we want city transformation. It's going to happen through a generosity revolution. And one of those ways is hospitality. A hospitable church. Acts chapter 2, they were hospitable. Their homes were not their own. Your home is one of your possessions. And it can be a castle where we, you know, we just build a moat around it and we try to keep people out of our homes. Or it's only for family, it's only for certain people. But Jesus was pretty radical. Um, and hospitality is one of the greatest beautiful forms of generosity. And so a generosity revolution will happen through a hospitality revolution that we become one of the most hospitable people in Scotland. We are people that open up our homes and not just to those that smell nice and look nice and have got the same qualifications or the same status as us in society. Jesus taught oh, way more radical than that to those that are rejected by society, those that maybe smell, maybe those that um, are, are not popular in society, like Zacchaeus who was hiding up a tree. So here's a final story. This is from Tim Kane from Kaleo Church. So this, we're going to finish on this. And if, um, uh, Alistair, if you could just play the keys as I'm reading this story. This is, we're going to finish with this. Alistair, you could play the keys. We'll have the band back up, and um, this is me finished, okay? Uh, Now, it started back in 2009. We just moved from Minnesota to El Cayon. I'd never been 
to El Cayon until I moved there to plant a church. My wife was working at Starbucks at the time, and one day I went to visit my wife while she was working. And outside there was a homeless guy sitting and begging for some money. So I invite him in. We sit down at the table. His name's Delbert Dell, and he's 70-something years old. He's a Vietnam vet. He's an African-American guy, and he's got some stories. Well, we sit there. I buy him a coffee. We're talking, and after a while, he finally tells me that Friday, February the 6th, 2009, that Friday was his birthday. My birthday's coming up, he says. So then, I don't know what I was thinking, but I go, hey, Dell, what are you doing for your birthday? And he just gave me this blank stare. I mean, he's homeless, so he just stared at me. I'm uncomfortable with the silence and with blank stares. So I followed up, do you have any friends? And of course, that just deepens the stare, and I realized that was probably a second bad question. So finally, I decide, instead of trying to lead him to my idea through questions, which wasn't working, I would just tell him my idea. So I said, "Eh, no, Dell, sorry, sorry, dude. Here's what I'm saying. I was like, listen, I was just thinking, why don't you invite all your friends? This is a true story, by the way. True story, not just an example. Why don't you invite all your friends to my house this Friday night and we'll have a birthday party? I was like, my wife will make spaghetti. I'll buy you cake. We'll celebrate your birthday. It will be fun. He was like, I like that idea. That sounds great. I was like, I'll pick you up at Starbucks. However many trips you need. Just bring everybody here. I'll pick you up. We'll go to my house birthday party. He's like, all right, all right. So he leaves and my wife and I get in the car to leave and a little later and she's like, I saw you met a friend there. She's kind of laughing with me. I was like, yeah, yeah. She's like, what did you guys talk about? I was like, oh, you'll never believe what we talked about. I invited him and all his friends over for his birthday party on Friday and I told him you would make spaghetti. And she just starts laughing and I can tell something about her laugh. She thinks I'm kidding. I'd been married two years at the time and I was smart enough to know that when my wife thinks I'm kidding, I don't tell her anything differently. So she thought I was kidding and that just told me she wasn't quite ready for what I just did. So I just kind of let, let it go. And then Friday morning came around, we woke up and she didn't have work that day. So before I got up to work, I was like, babe, that thing I told you the other day, that was real. That was really coming over with those friends tonight. So we better figure out something. So she's like, okay, I guess I told her, I'll help you. Whatever you need, it's going to be great. We're going to love it. So she made spaghetti. I bought him a cake and Del brought six of his friends. We had a meal and something just happened. It was the middle of the meal. It was insane. It was so much fun. We were laughing and talking and just having the greatest time. I did one of those things again I probably shouldn't have done. But I was like, guys, and they looked at me and I said, wouldn't this be amazing to do every week? And they were like, yeah, it would. So it was in 2009 and every single Friday for the last eight and a half years, we've invited all those homeless in the city of El Cayon to our house. We've had 71 of them before for dinner. Jesus was pretty radical in his teaching. We averaged between 40 and 60. My wife's still making dinner. The first three three years, it was just me and my wife doing it. And we just made spaghetti every night. That was just what you got. 
Now, my wife's expanded the menu to four different things. We had a pulled pork a couple of days ago, 30 pounds of pulled pork. Now we've got a bunch of people from the church to come over and help. We eat and we sit out there and we have a good time. Then we do a little Bible study. It's real sweet now. We have a lot of people from the church. It's a missional community. They've all embraced what we're doing. It's been amazing. I'll never forget about three years in when my wife and I were still the only ones doing it. And it happened that Christmas Eve came on a Friday night. And you know Christmas Eve is a fun holiday to be with family. We had a lot of cool young people in our church and they invited us to a big party that everyone was having, play games and a lot of fun. We were thinking, man, what are we going to do? Friday's Christmas Eve, should we cancel it? Should we not cancel it? We were trying to think and finally we decided. We were still only doing spaghetti at the time. My wife had never made a turkey before. It's still pretty early on in marriage and stuff. We were like, why don't you make your first turkey? We'll throw a big meal. We'll just have a really good time. We'll play games and we'll invite everybody over for Christmas Eve. Let's just keep Friday on. So we did that. My wife made a turkey and we had mashed potatoes, we had everything, eggnog and hot chocolate. And 18 homeless people came that night to our house. It was dark and windy and a little bit rainy. They all came in and we ate and we played games. I made up a bunch of fun games we could play. We were laughing and having a great time. We sat down afterwards and nobody wanted to go back outside. It was cold and rainy. You could hear the wind blowing against the windows. So we sat down in the living room and we had a Christmas tree and the lights were on. And we just talked about Christmas. We talked about how when the Son of God came, he decided to be born outdoors in a stable because the people he wanted to celebrate the first Christmas with were a bunch of dirty shepherds. And you see, he didn't want them thinking about how the way they smelled when they were supposed to be worshiping. He didn't want them feeling insecure about the way they were dressed or about the fact they were ceremonially unclean. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but you know the Son of God was born outside. He picked a place because he thought it was the most hospitable place to invite shepherds. It's hospitality that had him born in a manger. And before he picked a manger, he picked a company. I'm going to have shepherds at my birth. So that's the kind of limits where I'm going to be born if I'm going to make them feel comfortable. If I'm going to be hospitable, then maybe my birth should be in a stable. Maybe I'll make my first bed a manger. This is finishing now. When you talk about that with 18 homeless people and you get to tell them about God that left heaven to come and be born outside to be hospitable to dirty shepherds and they're nodding and they're embracing it, I thought, what was I thinking? This is Christmas. I never in my life felt Christmas like I ever felt it that night. To this day, that is the best Christmas Eve I've ever had. Let me tell you, every other Christmas Eve I've ever had has been a meal with friends. This was a feast. That's all there was to it. It was a feast. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to break down those barriers that it was, this is what it means to feast with the poor. Let us stand to our feet. Stand to our feet. Thank you. What an incredible example of generosity. What an incredible example that you cannot separate how you give from how you live. What an incredible example of the deep-rooted connection between compassion, mercy, generosity with time, talents, treasure, and loving our neighbor. 
And this is why city transformation happens one person at a time through a generosity revolution. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue with this series. And one of the things we would like to ask you to do is to consider setting up a standing order to the Vine Church and make the Vine Church one of the places that you invest. We have a vision for city transformation. You know, we have the beautiful privilege of having this building. And people say it's not all about the building, and it's not. We know that. But I tell you, every person that I speak to that's not got a building, they're all trying to get a building. They're looking for architects, and they come and they see and go, what we would give to have what you have. It's a beautiful blessing. But we need, if you look around, there's not many numbers. We want to ask you, if your heart is for the Vine Church and for our vision, we want you to consider giving generously, regularly, and sacrificially. That's what I believe the Bible teaches. Generously, regular, and sacrificial. And if you can do it by standing order, then we'll, there's, there's forms available here. I'll just leave them down the front. You can pick up one. Have a think about that over the next couple of weeks. Pray about it and ask God if you could be part. Because I think we've got about 38 people that give regularly by standing order. But as you know, that's, that's difficult in a place like this. Generosity goes way beyond what we give to our local church. But the church is called the bride of Jesus Christ. And Jesus absolutely loves the local church. And if he does, I think maybe I should too. And I think if I love his local church, then where my treasure is, there will my heart be also. I'm going to ask you to give regularly, generously, sacrificially to the Vine Church. What is the amount? That's between you and God. What have you got to give? You look at it, you consider it, you pray about it. Please take a form. Please consider handing it in over the next week or two. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, you're a God of generosity. You're a God who gave his only son. You modeled sacrificial and overflowing generosity. And Father, we pray today by your Holy Spirit that you would stir us, O oh God, to worship you with our time, our talents, and our treasure. We pray, God, that you would give us a fresh vision of our finance, Lord. That is something, Lord, that we would get sorted if we need to get it sorted, if we need to get our budget sorted. But Lord, that we would become a people who are radically generous, Lord with our time, our talents, and our treasure. Lord, we want to see city transformation through a, a, a revolution of generosity. And Lord, through a hospitality revolution, God, I pray you would make us hospitable people. I pray we would unlock the bolts of our front door and we would be people that are welcoming to our brothers and sisters. We're welcoming to the poor, the needy, the lost and the broken in our towns. That our homes are places that you have given to us and we would invest our homes back to you and use the very homes that you have given us to serve, to feast, to love the poor, the needy, the broken. That round my table would not just be all the ones of my family and all the nice ones that are easy to love, but Lord, Lord, round my table, you would help me to see a vision of the poor, the lost, the broken, and the needy. Lord Jesus, you would stir it in our hearts. You would come in Jesus' name. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you want to follow him and receive forgiveness and a new life, just repeat this prayer after me, everyone. Dear Father, thank you for sending your son to die on a cross. Please forgive me 
for going my own way. I need you and I ask you to come into my life and I return home to Father today and ask you to make me brand new from the inside out. Amen. With every eye closed, did anyone say that prayer for the first time? Just put your hands up nice and high. Anybody here this morning say that for the first time? or you're thinking about it there's gold bags and silver bags on that table up the back gold for adults silver for youth let's go out people with a, a joyful song let's go out celebrating the generous love of our father and let's get excited <laughs> let's get excited if you're not in a place of generosity let's get excited about a new vision for your finance of getting out of debt and I'm going to recommend courses to you to help you practically with that. If you're in debt that you can't be generous, God wants us to get out of debt and get a plan in place for that. And so we'll be uh, sharing that over the next coming weeks, okay, next two weeks. Let's get a, an exciting vision for the future. George, let's just finish on one last song. Thank you.